Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome, everybody, to the newest episode of Pick and Pod. I'm your host, Chris Persiain, and here alongside Jack Warner and Colin Lochran in the WFUV studios here in the Bronx, New York. We've got a lot to talk about here this week. In the NBA landscape, it's All-Star weekend. It's upon us. We're in the All-Star break. So not exactly the midpoint of the season. We're a little deeper than that into the 2022-2023 NBA campaign. However, this is typically the you know rough halfway marker. It's a break for teams. We definitely saw a couple of funky results over the last week. Teams kind of checking out ready for summer break you know not necessarily studying for those last tests and quizzes even if they were easy um so got a lot to talk about in terms of the all-star break also gonna touch a little bit on the real nba landscape fun and games aside get to the actual game um and talk about just a couple of these big time trade deadline acquisitions and how they've aged to start as well as the buyout market What's going on with that? We know after the trade deadline every year, everyone that doesn't get traded because there wasn't enough leverage or interest eventually reaches a buyout agreement. Terrence Ross headed to the Phoenix Suns. Video went viral of him making 20 straight threes yesterday, which we know a lot of NBA players can do, but it signifies that this is the time of year during which fans get excited about new additions to the team on veteran minimum deals. And a lot of the times, you know, guys get labeled as ring chasers, but at this point it's part of the NBA economy. So a lot to talk about, as I said. How are you guys doing? First of all, how are you guys feeling with this NBA season at the All-Star break? And, you know, your teams aside, just in general, how's how's this year been covering the NBA, talking about it here on Pick and Pod? Well, we all know the expression, the calm before the storm, Chris and Jack, but this is the calm after the storm. After such a wild deadline, so many moves going down, Phoenix becoming a completely different team, this is the calm after that storm, where we're going to get into the All-Star festivities. It's going to be a fun time this weekend, a lot to see, a lot of good uh, competitors going out there for the three-point contest, dunk contest. Local guy Jericho Sims going out for that dunk contest. We'll talk about that. But even just in general, as you said, Chris, everyone is allowed to be excited now, at least the teams that are in contention. And even if you're tanking for Wemby, you're excited about that because you're wondering to yourself, could we have a franchise player on the horizon? Everything aside, very fun time to be a fan of the NBA. And it's kind of one of those few times where there's really no stress involved. You kind of know where you're at at this point in the season. You're just going to let it play out. And for now, you're allowed to take kind of a breather. Right around this time of the year, it's got me uh, very excited for the second half of the season, especially, again, with a lot of the moves made during the trade deadline. It was an eventful first half of the year, but, you know, All-Star Weekend is one of my favorite times of the year, just across all sports, let alone basketball. So um, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited to see where, where the league goes from here. Yeah, and there is definitely going to be an exciting outcome, in my opinion, just because there's no expected one. I feel like we have a lot of parity 
in the NBA nowadays. And if there are any teams that will ruin that, for example, a team like the Phoenix Suns, well, it'll be because of a new superstar acquisition. So no matter what, something's going to happen that nobody was expecting coming into this NBA season. Uh, we'll talk about the landscape of the league. We'll talk about those additions and what teams we think have kind of maybe entered contender status that weren't there or bolstered their chances. But first, let's go to Salt Lake City unusual destination here on pick and pod the utah jazz not a team that we cover much here from new york even when they had donovan mitchell and rudy gobert on the squad i actually feel like as someone who's a hosted a lot of pick and pod this year i've kind of made it a thing to talk about teams like them the kings even the magic i love these storylines across the league and yes the local teams are, are important right but i like checking up around the league so we talked a bit about laurie Markin in this season and different players like that well all-Star Weekend happening in Utah. The Brooklyn Nets had a bit of a shakeup. Um, so is it they'll have no representatives at all? Will they have anyone in the Rising Stars game even? I don't believe so. And I think Seth they... Curry didn't make the three-point contest, right? No, it all went backwards. Once Durant and Irving set sail, it, it did go backwards for Brooklyn, although eventually that representation is going to be there if you look at what they got back trade-wise for Durant and Irving. I, I do the think... picks, you know, have to... The picks are great until there are names attached to them. Right. I, I think, you know, a great example, and I, I don't mean to call out any specific player, but, like, you take a look at a pick in the, you know, late 30s, high 40s. At the trade deadline, that can get you a veteran that can help win you games. A lot of teams wouldn't want to part with that second-round pick. Oh, well, we can draft someone young, cost-effective, the New York Knicks rather have, you know, a veteran at last year's deadline or have drafted Trevor Keels, who has yet to even consider touching the court for them this season. It, it, you know, the picks are great until there are names attached to them. Obviously, Brooklyn got a lot of first round picks. But the reason I do this asterisk, the reason I'm hesitant to give them pass. Of credit okay. is because they did not acquire a surplus of draft capital. That's fair. I what was... they did was replenish their deficit of draft capital due to the literal mortgaging of their future that they did for a player that played in about six hours worth of games with yeah, their not two many, stars. Not many so, games. I was alluding more to the fact of, did you see Mikhail Bridges Oh, we're going to get night? to him, too. He Four was five. fantastic. <laughs> I was at that game. He was fantastic because he's one of those guys, and I don't want to spoil anything, I feel like he's only going to get better the more volume he's allowed to have in terms of shot so selection, playmaking. I have a question about that, and I'll ask it to you later because I think that's actually a discussion I really wanted to get to. Let's start out with this All-Star Weekend with a three-point contest. And the reason I say that is because we had a new participant announced so funny. to the chagrin of NBA fans. <laughs> so in the three-point contest are the following NBA players. Some notable snubs before we start. Damian Lee, Isaiah Joe, two players who have been taking a lot of three-pointers, making a lot of three-pointers this season, but just didn't have the the star power to their name to make it worth their team chartering a flight to Utah. They, they went with some stars instead, and that's how Jason Tatum made the three-point contest. You saw Damian Lillard make the three-point contest. Tyler Hero made the three-point contest. They went with the more attractive names than Damian Lee and Isaiah Joe. Um, but Tyrese Halliburton, another player, I think I like that addition as someone who's not a huge Halliburton proponent. And the reason is because his shot is just odd and it works. And so I like the concept of having a, a different-looking shooter mix things up. Buddy Heald, uh, you know, all right. That is probably <laughs> the NBA's best 
shooters shooters that's what he does it's all he does okay fair and the way the way you initially began that sentence i'm like oh no then, he's not the, you, best the, the, the best shooter in the nba the best shooter shooter shooters shooter every shooter in the nba is like <laughs> yo that guy is great yeah. now michael beasley wasn't fantastic but he was your favorite player's favorite player so uh, if if you watched him in college and everything you know you, you loved him we got kevin herter from i like that storybook, one storybook sacramento kings you gotta love that one in my opinion a little bit of hometown representation, Laurie Markinen from the Utah Jazz. We know Carl Anthony Towns winning a previous three-point contest. The NBA enjoys having big men in these things, and I think they love that because it allows them to highlight the skill sets they have in the league nowadays. Stretch bigs used to be a rarity, and now there are so many stretch bigs that I think they're actually still a rarity, but because out of all the bigs that we consider stretch bigs, only the elite of the elite, are true stretch bigs. Like I would argue Porzingis, yes. Miles Turner, no. Why? Miles Turner draws closeouts on about 33% of his three-point attempts. So yes, he makes a fair deal, but teams are actually willing to let him do that game in and game out. It's the best way that they like to get beat by the Pacers. If they're going to lose to the Pacers, sure, Miles Turner can rain from downtown, and that's how we went down. You know, So I think the league has an opportunity with guys like Towns, Markinen. Even you look at other bigs, um, when Manyama coming into the league, probably going to participate in a three-point contest or two in his career. And that's why I really like the addition of the player who in the NBA has more three-pointers in the first quarter this season than he does in the next three quarters combined. More threes in the first quarter this season than anyone has in any quarter this season. Julius Randle of the New York Knickerbockers comes out in the first quarter of games and just absolutely unleashes a barrage of threes on teams. Now, after that, a little streaky, right? But he's really confident this year in those first quarters. Knicks associate head coach Johnny Bryant um, spoke to, to a media and said he gave him a goal this year of taking and making more threes than last year, just being more of a spacer as opposed to a ball-dominant isolation player. And Randall's already done that, and we're at the all-star break. So I think that speaks a lot to his improvement in three-point shooting. He's having a better shooting season than he did when he made second-team All-NBA in the 2021 season. Jack, I'll start with you. What do you think of the addition of Julius Randle to the three-point contest, A, and B, who do you have winning this thing? So Julius being added to the three-point contest actually excites me a lot because not only have we seen – just a wild improve in his overall play this year, which is, again, I've never seen a player like Julius Randle who I've I've heard such wonderfully amazing things said about him and so horribly bad things said about him, and even from like members of his own city. Um, I've always loved Julius Randle, and I think it's a great addition. I think it's also it gets people talking. I think it's good for the league. A lot of people have it's it's run my Twitter for since since the news broke. So. Um, not to mention he's immediately the underdog right now. He's it's plus nine fifty odds for him to win this. So, um, me personally, I I like my boy Jason Tatum, but I feel like that's kind of a cliche answer. Really, I'm I'm rooting for Julius. Like I I want Julius to win this really bad. But who do I think is gonna win? I think JT's gonna win it. Colin, who do you got, and what do you make of? even just beyond Randall, Randall and Markin and these bigs in the three-point contest. Well, 
I like the addition of bigs to the three-point contest because I think the game is shifting, and we've talked about this, towards a more positionless approach. Not that you're ever going to lose the positions entirely. but I, I think offensively they're dead. They're more moldable now than they've ever been, and I like that that's where the league is going overall. I would love to see Embiid try a three-point contest at some point. It could happen. I'm, I'm, I have hope that eventually it could happen, but as far as Randall is concerned, Chris, you know I am a Julius Randall proponent. I have been a supporter this year of the work he's put in. You mentioned his relationship with Johnny Bryan. He really helped him in the offseason get a better attitude, come back in, work hard. It really showed itself Did in you, terms of his improvement. Right. Yeah, Brian, I don't know, Jack, I don't know if you know this. Uh, Randall spoke to press. He said that, you know, over the offseason, Bryant was working with him on his mentality. And he flat out asked him. He was he showed him a couple clips of Julius reacting to fouls, reacting to no calls. Probably the thumbs down. Body right? language. Yep. And Johnny just played him the clip. And Julius is kind of like, yo, like what what are we doing here? Would like, you want to be is, your teammate? What, what's going on? Would you, know? you want and to John, be your Johnny's teammate? Johnny's like, look at this guy. Would you want to play with that guy? And Julius was like, uh. <laughs> Not really, no, but I like the fact that he's in this three-point contest. I think it's good for the game whenever a New York athlete is in there. Call me a homer, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think having big markets like New York, L.A. is good for the growth of the sport overall. Shooting roughly 34-ish percent this year from three, not by any means tremendous, but as you mentioned, those first quarter barrages are something else when they happen, so if he can get hot early, who knows? In terms of who I have, winning this thing Kevin Herter I think Love he's going to be lethal in this contest I think he's the type of player that is set up for this contest even when he was in Atlanta I had said you know they have a lot of these guys that can shoot threes but you give me Kevin Kevin Herter in the corner or on one of those wings on just a regular pass and feed and transition He's going to knock it down nine times out of ten. I remember when he was maybe kind of available last year around the trade deadline. I had said Boston, Boston, Boston. It did not happen. Even a team like Brooklyn last year with the construction they had, I thought Herder would have fit. Given that Atlanta's kind of floundering now, it's a shame to not. Oh, he's on the Kings now. I did know that, but I automatically think of him as a Hawk because of 2021. First round pick for him for financial reasons. And now you look at what the trade they made at the deadline was. They sent out five seconds for Sadiq Bay, who, if that trade's going to be worth it, they have to pay this offseason. So I think they saw Herder's success in Sacramento and said, oh, we got to go get someone to replace him at a different position. Right. Like, we got to make that move worth it. Let's actually go get a guy. And now they've got to trade John Collins to pay Bay. They're a mess. Yeah, Herder, I automatically think of this man as a hawk. He's on a good team now over in Sacramento. Shooting around 40% from three, just a tad under that 40% mark. I have him winning this thing because I think the way the competition is laid out is made for a guy like this that's really good in spot-up positions, can be good in transition as well. So it doesn't matter what spot he's going to hit it from. He's just going to get hot at the right time. I have him winning. Yeah, you know, I'm personally very tempted to go with Buddy Heald for this just because I think he's such a fantastic three-point shooter but I have my pick and it is not biased or influenced by my Finnish heritage I just do think that the Utah hometown hero here of Laurie Markkinen um, when you saw his play with Finland in international play last summer it was clear that as someone who followed him for years because Phil Jackson was interested in trading Porzingis for marketing and draft capital, thinking that he was a better version. 
I looked into marketing for years and he's finished. So I followed his career for, he was never that guy that he was at FIBA. And what I saw from him at FIBA that was so different was just a coach that empowered him and confidence. It was forced because no one else is better than him for Finland. So he kind of has to be the number one. But he thrived in the role to the extent where that international play pretty much elevated him from decent young piece that Cleveland has to, yeah, this guy can be the main salary piece in a trade for Donovan Mitchell so long as there's a bunch of first-round picks attached. But now Markkanen, an all-star starter as a, because of the injuries, right? He's got all the confidence he needs, and I, I think that there's a lot of pressure on him this season, you know, because he needs to play for pretty much if he wants a max contract, he's got to keep up this rate of production. The three-point contest isn't I, – I think he's going to have fun with this, and I've got him taking it home um, because, you know, he's he's got the fans behind his back there in Utah, and I, I just think that he is going to get in a nice groove and rhythm. And part of the reason I say this is because other than Heald and Herter, there aren't that many shooters. Typically, there's three or four. There's only two this time that I think they get in a rhythm and they can make every single shot, like literally every single shot. We used to have three-point contests with Steph and Clay and Marco Bellinelli, who would beat them both. You and know, Manu like, Ginobili, Ginobili for a while. Corver. Yeah. Uh, these guys were really dangerous. And now you have to be so versatile in the NBA today that there are fewer guys like a Buddy Heald who are really just shooters. Evan Fournier not in a rotation anymore right. so that's how this goes um we'll move on from the three-point contest to the next competition and there are no predictions here just throwing a shout to another nick participant quentin grimes in the rising stars contest cam thomas made his campaign pun intended very strongly but a little bit too late for a selection here and so no nets in the rising stars he, he can blame Kyrie and katie for that one had it been a little bit sooner that they had gone off elsewhere, Cam would have made that competition, in my estimation. He has yeah. been phenomenal the, hype, the last couple of games. And the hype was big enough for it, for it to happen. Grimes been a starter for a good team this season, bringing it on both ends of the court. He doesn't get any plays ran for him, and he averages about 11, 10 points a game with Josh Hart here in New York now. It'll be less. He'll play fewer minutes. But still, great player. Quentin Grimes, great attacking speed from the corner. That's what stands out most to me. Colin... As a fellow Nick Beat reporter, you've probably seen it. The blow-by rate. It's, it's insane. It's when he's in the corner and they have to respect the shot because he's knocked down. And he just sprints past his man. And he's not the fastest player out there. So it's fascinating that he's able to tap into such great speed. But I think it makes sense that it's straight-line speed because at Kansas, when he was a primary, he couldn't get any separation left and right on the court. And so that's why he moved to being more of a 3 and D wing. That straight line speed is still there for him. He was a five-star recruit. That's that athleticism that he taps into. So Grimes, exciting in the in the Rising Star game. Not necessarily the play style that is built for that game. Remember, we had a Zion versus Ja Rising Stars <laughs> game. Jack back there is smiling, you know, ear to ear, just remembering the literal plethora of highlight dunks that Jaron Jackson Jr., Morant, that we got from those guys. Uh, but this should be a fun Rising Stars game. We got some really good players. More fun than it probably, though will be the dunk contest. And now I am in on this event this year because the roster of names is an absolute shame compared to the competition that the NBA used to have. Right. This league used to put out dunk contests with Michael Jordan versus Dominique Wilkins. 
Like that was like the standard, right? And Kobe and Shaq and all these guys would be there with their VCR tape, whatever, you know, courtside because they wanted to have film of these crazy dunks that were going down in the even the late 2000s. Recently, it's been popularized for stars not to participate in these events, not to risk any injury. And now we have a list of Mac McClung, not an NBA player. <laughs> Trey Murphy, the third cool dunker doesn't really show it in game at all. This is a pure highlight tape bet. Uh, Kenyon Martin Jr., one of my favorite players on the Houston Rockets, his dad, former number one overall pick, but dunk contest worthy. Nah. I think the one guy in this dunk contest who in games this year has put out a tape that's like, hey, I probably wouldn't make it in a normal year, but right. I should make it is Jericho Sims. And because of the drought of stars willing to do these competitions, Sims actually did make it this year. He was a replacement. I think John ja Morant pretty much got him in the dunk contest. Morant tweeted out to get Jericho Sims in the dunk contest because Sims unleashes some crazy dunks against the Grizzlies. And same question, guys. Colin, we'll start with you. Who do you have taken this one? I think everyone's favorite underdog is McClung, but I'm not sure about his chances. I'm going to go either or. I'm going to say either Jericho Sims or McClung. I think McClung could win it because he's got the hops to do it and the versatility in terms of the type of dunks he can provide could be really special. Like I'm excited to see what this guy uh, can bring to the table. I don't think he's very tall. I am not a Matt McClung, Mac McClung expert by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think he's a tall gentleman. So for that reason, I might be rooting for him to have some good vertical leap, get some fancy dunks in there. But you're right, Chris. Jericho stands out as the guy on this list that has had a number of dunks this season, and it comes in a variety of ways. Could be in transition, or more often, it's off of an offensive board, and he kind of just jams it back or those into the basket. Or the alley-oops. Oh, those half-court alley-oops are, are something. If he can use that in this competition and just get a little fancy with it, he could very well win. Trey Murphy, Jack, was practicing a dunk earlier today where he goes not at the elbow, a little more to the right, mm -hmm. shoots the ball, makes it, banks it in so that it takes more time, and then goes up, catches it dunks the out, rebound. Of the, out of the bottom of the net and reverse slams it. Oh, my god! Is that enough to, to get a 50 from you? Who do you have winning this thing? One it, comment quick. Go ahead. Go ahead McClung go ahead. is 6'2". Yeah. I might have to root for McClung for personal reasons. I, I was today years old when I found out that McClung is six foot he's two. He's six foot two. He just has a ridiculous he is the most, vertical. He's hop. the most five foot eight looking six foot two dude I've ever seen. <laughs> it it would be impressive for him to win the dunk. It contest. would be impressive. Who do you have winning, Jack? As soon as the names were released, all I could think of, all that was playing in my head, was earlier this season, Knicks versus uh, Thunder. Derrick Rose tossing a lob up to up to Jericho Sims and just the most one of the most violent slams I've ever seen. Yeah, they're really like punchy and aggressive. It, it, they're like violent, um, and that's that's the kind of thing that I like to see out of a dunk contest participant. You know, just a, a good harsh dunk. I mean, think about it. Half of the when when Zach Levine had those those back to back contests, you you watch his dunks, bro. I, I thought the man was gonna break his wrist the way he was dunking. Like the the noise that they caught on the mics from the impact of the ball was just yeah. It sounds it sounds like, like a I, I, like like gunpowder. Yeah, like, it's like, like a musket going off. No, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, like, 
Um, I would like to see McClung do well, though. I do have Jericho Sims, but I completely agree with Colin. I would like to see McClung do well just simply because he um, he's the clear underdog. Like He's getting brought up from the G League, and I think it's just an interesting situation. Not to mention, I think Mackich is a good kid. He's been fun to watch. He's been he's been averaging around twenty a game in the G League. So he's been he's been you know he's been on his grind. He's been doing his thing. He's a phenomenal athlete. The one thing I will say is I'm like desperately hoping that we get a good product this year because I'm lo- I'm losing hope. It used to be one of my favorite events like yep ever, and I c- I can still recall. I can still see. When I was sitting in my my family room watching the first Levine win and the second very controversial Levine win, um, AG robbed. The, oh, one hundred and ten percent, dude. I don't I don't disagree at all. AG robbed twice. Um, but yes, I think some of it has to do with avoiding injury. But the other thing is, I don't think the dunk contest is like as I don't think the players think it's as serious as it used to be. Like some I, I, I don't want to sound needs to buy it from whatever whoever the sponsor is. And just dole out like a ludicrous bonus, <laughs> like I'm talking a nuts bonus to the to the winner and a tenth of it to second place, like like some motivation to even just finish at the top. How you about a, how about a counter offer that makes that even more valuable? How about we do everything that you just said, and on top of that, let's not have judges like DJ Khaled for the dunk <laughs> contest, please. You can blame like, AT and T. Like I like I understand that like they want to make it a spectacle. I understand that there needs to be entertainment value. There needs to be personalities. Fine, but like, I I, I can't take it seriously when we have personalities like that. And I know it's completely subjective. I'm sure there's some people out there that think it's great for it. I just have a tough time taking it seriously when I got you know some of the best athletes in the world doing doing dunks that they've choreographed for a while just to have their critique and their scoring be done by none other than DJ Khaled. For what it is worth, Dominique Wilkins is on the list this year. Right, right. And and in past years in past years they've had Dr. J, they've had all different types of people who have, you know, legends that have that have judged the dunk contest. But I just feel like it try they try to turn it into too much of a spectacle at times. And I I just think the players aren't even taking it as serious now. It's not even just it's not just the fans losing interest. It's I think part of the it's not fear of injury is not the only reason that players aren't doing it anymore. I think they don't f- take it seriously anymore. The crazy thing to me is that when they fixed the actual All Star game and they started to make it better with the way things were scored and the time and all that, even the, the captains, the way they were doling out the rosters, that is exactly around the same time when the dunk contest actually got worse. Like I don't know about you guys, I watch the game now, but I'm more interested in the three-point contest. I don't know why. I think it's just because maybe that's where the league is going and that's where my mind is drawn well, to. Well, and that's now, the thing. I've never... The I've never talent goes to the three-point. Right. Well, exactly. And I've never been more... I completely agree with you. And I've never been more interested in, in the in the three-point contest. I think until... Like, I always watched it, but I was never as interested in it as I am now until this sort of start to decline with the, with the dunk contest. Well, for a couple years there, it was Marco Bellinelli versus everybody. It felt like mm-hmm. at least this year you have some diversity. There really Alan isn't Alley, one man. guy. I mean, if Steph participated year over year, I think he would probably win most of the contests. But that element doesn't exist this year. This is one of those years where you look at it, and we have our favorites, of course. But it's not like anyone couldn't get hot from behind the arc. The, the dunk contest kind of has the opposite problem, where you look at it, and you go, "Well, two of these guys are." 
barely NBA players. No disrespect to Jericho. Not in the rotation enough. And you look at Martin and Murphy the third, and you're just kind of like, ah, well, the average guy that sits on his couch and watches a game on Tuesday, Thursday on TNT might not know who they are. Right. No, completely. I, I think it'll be a fun product, though, and the reason for that is these guys know what people are saying about them. I think the NBA is telling them, hey, you know, put on a show for us, please. Don't make us look bad for picking you. And I think these guys want to win, too. They want to be the guy to come out on top of this competition. So the guys that are in it, I think, genuinely want to win it. Something else going on, we won't have any real discourse about it, but just wanted to shout out a cool new idea from the NBA, the G League Next Up game. And they've got Scoot Henderson and Luca Garza as captains for this one. And essentially, the G League Ignite has been really, like, embraced by the NBA and it's to an extent where you know they played Victor Wenbanyama's team so that Wenbanyama and Henderson the number one and number two presumptive picks in this 2023 NBA draft could match up against each other could play a game and they broadcast it for free everywhere when Wenbanyama plays they email out um, you know on the NBA app a link to watch it when G League Ignite plays you can watch uh, Dyson Daniels played in G League Ignite went you know pretty high to the New Orleans Pelicans uh, several players in the Ignite program, man, that have been drafted now, and uh, Marjan Bochamp, another one to the to the Bucks in the first round. So you know, a bunch of guys went first round out of Ignite. Um, you're gonna have probably a number two overall pick out of Ignite this year, and I think it's just cool that the NBA continues to feature and highlight this aspect because I remember when the D League just didn't matter at all, and right. now I, I genuinely remember one day in like 2017 flipping on NBA TV and there was like a D league championship on, it was the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. They had this guy, this center, big white center who was just feasting on everyone. And I was like, yo, who is this guy? He's awesome. So I look into him guys named Isaiah Hartenstein (laughs) and he is just this super fun player that never really got a chance anywhere. And I was like, this guy's great. You know, someone give him a shot. And then the Houston Rockets gave him a shot after he was, like, the MVP of the G League Finals or whatever. And he actually, like, played okay, like, existent backup center minutes for them. Fast forward, Los Angeles Clippers ends up being a big part off the bench of that team and earning himself a $16 million deal over two years with the New York Knicks that I think over the last couple weeks, you know, now that he's healed from his Achilles bug, uh, he's been absolutely worth $8 million a year in the NBA landscape. So the G League Ignite and the G League in general has lots of cool stories, and I like that the NBA is highlighting this. I don't know if you guys have anything to add. We can kind of just move on. I think more than anything, that speaks to the fact that they're not afraid to expand towards other territories, towards other ways of presenting a league product, and I think the G League is a perfect example of that, as is the, the league in Africa that they have cooking. I watched yep. so many of those games in the summer and I was blown away by the talent because these guys are big, strong, fast. They're moving up and down the court with ease. It's, it's just one of those things where the more opportunities you give people, the better the product is going to be ultimately because they'll find a way to assimilate into the NBA. They'll find a way to get that look from a team that, you know what, says this guy can shoot or he's got the size and we can just develop the handle, something like that along those lines. And I think perhaps more than any other sports league right now, the NBA has shown a willingness to be progressive in this regard, and it makes all the difference in terms of the product that we're going to get, not just you know a year from now, but five years from now, ten years from now. And I think the, the league in Africa, the G League, things like that all point to that 
eventually being where we're at. And the other thing that I appreciate the most about this is I think one of the most overlooked, you know, subgroups of of professional athletes are these, you know, more minor leaguers. I say minor leaguers, and that's more of a baseball term, but you know, guys that are drafted by by professional teams and have to, you know, play in their development systems beforehand because Deuce McBride is the NBA equivalent of a quadruple A player. Exactly. And that's my exact exactly my point. Um, you know, baseball, you got you gotta move through single A, double A, triple A. Hockey is pretty similar. I don't know exactly how it works. NBA, you have the G League. These guys are on a constant grind, not knowing. You know, they they may they accomplish their dream of getting drafted, but they're not quite there yet. And it's an uncertainty whether it's an injury on someone on the current roster that's going to push them up, if it's their own play that's going to push them up. So, not only is it a very underappreciated you know drive that these that these players have, but they're just raw talent, you know. And I'm this is one of the moves out of the NBA that I really really enjoy because I think they deserve to be showcased, and especially on a stage where all the other best players in the world are currently battling it out i think it's going to be a really great experience for all the for all the g league guys too i'm excited for this all-star weekend let's transition to kind of setting the table for what we'll discuss next week on pick and pod and uh, going forward for the rest of the season we'll go quick here i have three different things i'd like to bring up the third having a couple different compartments and components so no first do a little more simple note number one josh hart becomes a New York Knick. The New York Knicks enter the trade deadline on a three-game winning streak. I think, and I'm no vibe connoisseur, <laughs> but I think that the energy around this Knick team, the vibes, so to say, are easily the best they've been all season. 100%. All year for this Knick team. Several games above 500. They're in the sixth seed right now. It's looking like they might even be able to angle for the fifth seed. Brooklyn, no longer uh, home to two top NBA stars. So the Knicks seem like they're going to be a playoff team. One of those middle-of-the-pack but legit playoff teams. And the addition of Josh Hart has looked really good for them. First game out, 11 points, but that wasn't the big deal. The big deal, four assists, four offensive rebounds, four steals, three defensive rebounds. This guy... Did it all. And then he comes out another night, and he has 27 points. It's like if New York needs scoring, he'll make open threes, and he'll knock them down. He's making, in Portland this year, one three on average out of three attempts. In New York, he started out, what, like 35 40% on a lot of volume? Like, he's getting the freedom to shoot. He was asked about if Tom Thibodeau has kind of told him, hey, you're free to shoot it. And he said, you know, Thibodeau told him he has like the ultimate green light um, because he trusts Hart's shot selection. They asked Thibodeau that Hart said that, and he said, oh, ultra green. So, you know, Thibodeau never jokes, and he goes, yeah, ultra green because he really loves Josh Hart, and he trusts him to just take the right shots. These Nick teams, these Nick players trust each other, Brunson, Hart, good camaraderie. Colin, just speak on this Nick team right now. He's a team guy. Josh Hart is the ultimate player's player, and I think more than anything else, the gripe I've had with this Knicks team the entire year was the shooting. Right now, 24th in the NBA in terms of shooting. That's going to go up because you just added another guy now that has that ultra green light. And when he has that, it's going to open up other opportunities for guys like Randall, Grimes, Brunson that are going to get extra looks because guess what? If you're an opposing defense, you have one more guy to look after now that wasn't there prior. Not to mention... 
his prior history with Brunson makes all the difference in the world for this team that now is, as you said, vibing. The chemistry is there in a way that it just wasn't prior. Not to say that this team didn't get along or anything ridiculous like that, but when you get a guy like Hart that is such a team-oriented guy and he has history with your point guard, arguably the leader of this team. Now, I'd argue Randall is the engine, Brunson's the leader. So in other words, Randall might be the thing kind of guiding it, but Brunson is the conductor of the train, if that makes sense. Yeah. When you have a relationship between Hart and Brunson, it's just going to make your team better as a whole because then everyone understands the role they have to play, and it's going to open up so many more opportunities. In terms of playoff seating, if the Knicks finish anywhere, in my estimation, from... I'm going to be generous if they can go on a little run and finish anywhere from the three seed to the six seed. They can win a round in the playoffs. If they finish seventh, it's going to be harder because I look at who's three through six right now. It's Philly, it's Cleveland, it's Brooklyn, it's New York. All of those teams are mortal. They're not Boston. They're not Milwaukee. None of them outside of Philly because they have Embiid, but they also have Harden, who historically has not shown up in big playoff games. So take Philly out of that. If you look at Cleveland, Brooklyn, New York, none of them have the big bopper. Now they have guys that are very good. Donovan Mitchell, Brunson, RJ when he's right, uh, Randall when he's right. If you look at Brooklyn, Mikhail Bridges when he's got it going right. But there's no KD. There's no Steph for Clay like there is in the West. There's no Luka. These teams are all very, very mortal. And if you're the Knicks, you are such a strong defense. That is their identity this year. Nothing about it is pretty. Like, that's the thing I realized about halfway through this season. Nothing about how the Knicks win is a pretty process. They just find a way to kind of gut out these games and get the job done. This season in the NBA... The Knicks are one of the better teams in terms of defending against jump shots and one of the better teams against defending against shots in general, no matter where they come from. The rebounding is there when Mitch is on the court. You're going to get that back as the season progresses, as he gets more comfortable and gets back on his feet from injury. Hartenstein has given them very good minutes recently after kind of flaming out in around December, that early January mark. Then about mid-January, he really picked it up. He's been good for them off the bench. And now you have another shooter. So if you're the Knicks, if you're a Knicks fan, it's a good time. You can be happy now because the East is really wide open outside of those top two teams. And I don't put Philly into that upper echelon. So if you get a series against Philly and you just so happen to get home court, you very well might win that series. It's not crazy to think. I'm not scared of Miami if I'm the Knicks. I'm definitely not scared of Brooklyn after what happened last week at home. We'll talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers in a little bit, but... Uh, that's a team that I think the Knicks could take on as well. Yes, they have Donovan Mitchell, but with what the Knicks have in Brunson and Randall and these other guys that know what it takes to, to win basketball games, I, I just love the way that adds up. I like it more than I like what the Hawks have. I like oh, it absolutely. more than I like what the Bulls have. Mm-hmm. I like it more than I like what Cle- more than I like what Cleveland has, uh, what Indiana has. There's a lot of these teams that I just think the Knicks are better than, but with the way they're discussed, it's always an uphill battle. You know, it's always, oh, they'd beat the Knicks. Well, would they? You know, it, it's always that way. So it, it, we'll have to see, right? Jack, the Brooklyn Nets got a 45-point game from Macau Bridges, as we talked about earlier. Seems like they are embracing that youth culture again. Sean Marks and Joe Sy kind of agreeing that they'd rather have an eighth seed that fights for each other than 
a one seed that doesn't sounds like a lot of copium um, with just trying to justify the way that they took things. But I also think they were really fed up with what they were dealing with. This new direction for the Nets, Jack, are you in on it? Are you in on this kind of paper mache, mosh posh, NBA Twitter nerd, <laughs> three and D chock full Nets team uh, that has an initiator in Dinwiddie, but more of a score, and then has a bunch of ancillary talent in DFS, Cam Johnson, Seth Curry, these other guys. And then, you know, they've got a McCall Bridges, a, a feature young player. What do you think about this direction for the Nets, Jack? What they have right now, I think, is something that can definitely be built upon. I think they have a talented group of guys. I don't think it's as – I don't think – obviously no one wants to see two superstars depart within a week of each other and and think that all is well. But I also don't think that the scene in Brooklyn is as doomsday as everyone is making it out to be. At the end of the day, there's a lot of a lot of talent, and just just in Dinwiddie and and Mikhail Bridges. Um, the one thing that I will say that kind of it kind of makes me a little anxious for Brooklyn is it seems like coming out of this trade deadline, anything positive to say about the Nets in terms of where to go in the future is very TBD. It's no, there's no solidified like this is what they're gonna do. This is this is how they're gonna do it, and and it can go up from here. It's well, they did obtain these draft picks. So if they do this with these draft picks, it's like okay, but the, we we're not in a draft yet. Okay, and then Chris, like you said earlier, the draft picks are only as valuable until you associate the name with the draft pick. Oh well, you could trade draft picks. Um, you know they have they have more things in their arsenal to to trade for, you know, get a new superstar. Because right now it's all young talent. They don't have, like, a, a real defined superstar like these two. Again. How have the Nets historically been with trading draft picks for superstars? They oops. traded <laughs> Damian <laughs> Lillard, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and whoever the hell else. They traded their entire future for James Harden, who might be on his second team since Brooklyn this offseason when he leaves Philly mm-hmm. for Houston. But Man, they, they miss Karis LeVert and How do you miss so Karis LeVert? They miss Karis LeVert so Allen much. I can get. They miss Dane Karis Whitty, I can get. LeVert? How they do. do. How do you put yourself in a position as a franchise where you miss Karis? Like, that's just sad. Not So here's where I stand in the Nets. Not to cut you off, Jack. No, no, no. You're I, I, want I, heard... I want to hear from you on this, and I want so, to hear just quickly, McCal Bridges, more volume, can he do it night in, night out? Because that's what makes a star. I'm in on Brooklyn long term. I'm not in on Brooklyn this year because I don't think, you know, after you lose the stars, anything finals related, deep playoff run related, you can toss it out the window this season. Long term, if we're assuming, it's a big if, Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson are going to stick around, I'm in. I like what those kids bring to the table. Mikhail Bridges, the other night against Miami, 45 points. Very efficient performance. I think he was 17 to 24 from the field, something ridiculous like that. This year has an effective field goal percentage above 53%. Obviously wasn't the primary option in Phoenix, so we really don't know what he looks like when he is a primary option. But the thing you like about him is the athleticism, the shooting, and the defense. The Nets went from an uber-offensive team that couldn't play a shred of defense to now a really good defensive team that's going to have stretches where they're not going to score, and they're going to have to figure out a way to kind of fill in those gaps. Mikhail Bridges 
and Dinwiddie, but more so Bridges, could be the solution to that problem. This guy was all defensive last year in Phoenix. This season now, he's going to get tested offensively because the Brooklyn's going to look to him, Jacques Vaughn's going to look to him and say, Can he do it night in, night out? You have to be the guy. As the guy. And I think he can with one major caveat. He's going to have to have that point guard with him. I think it's a little bit like what you're seeing with Randall. Obviously, much different players. I don't want Mikhail Bridges dribbling the hell out of the ball up and down the court. I want him to be the type of guy that sits in the wing, comes over a screen, gets a three, or scores in transition. Cheap buckets here and there, corner threes, good playmaking, solid defense. A little bit like, if you will, what Jalen Brown is doing in Boston. So I was going to bring someone else up for this discussion, and here's why. The New York Knicks have assembled a bit of a Villanova Vanguards section of their roster. Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, two Villanova stars. Now, they did have to trade Ryan Archidiakono to make that happen. I think they're okay with that. I think think they can live with that, man. (laughs) Here's my question. The New York Knicks at the deadline... Funnily enough, as reported by me first, we're willing to trade multiple first-round picks for OG Ananobi to the Toronto Raptors. If Brooklyn is really doing this retool thing, will the two New York teams discuss this offseason and potentially lift what has been an unspoken trade embargo between the two because they each have something that the other wants? Now, here's my proposal, and it's controversial. This is on purpose. I'm here for it. The New York Knicks have several protected first-round picks. Four, to be exact. But they traded their own. That leaves them with one other pick in this year's draft. Hold on to that. Future picks. The Milwaukee and the Washington picks. Those two protected draft picks. Either someone like a Deuce McBride or several second-rounders, or whatever it is, and R.J. Barrett. Wow. To reunite the Villanova trio of Brunson, Hart, Bridges, combine them with Randall, Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, Isaiah Hartenstein, Obi Toppin probably will find a new home this offseason, but would that be a trade for the Knicks that would, one, leave them with the perfect shell to add a star to. They can take a Randall and sign and trade him for an impending free agent like an Embiid or a Booker. They can take that Barrett salary, use it. Now, if Barrett's not going to become a a lead player, they should get a player that can be a backup dancer, right? If they don't need, you know, if they're breaking up Destiny's Child here with this (laughs) mid-three, they just need the backup dancers because they're going to go get the Beyonce, right? So... What are we going to see from the Knicks in terms of a retooling? Well, I think Ananobi points to the direction they want to go in. Would Bridges be too perfect of a fit? Would it, does it make too much sense for the Knicks to send more draft picks to the Brooklyn Nets and a young player to build around an R.J. Barrett that can create and handle the ball a little better than Bridges? And then for the Knicks to get back a complimentary player so that with Brunson, Hart, Grimes, quickly – Bridges, Randall, Robinson, then they can add a star to that core and and be ready as a contender. If you're Brooklyn, you don't do that deal. If you're the Knicks, you absolutely do that deal to get the Villanova guys back together. And what you pointed to is absolutely correct in that Bridges will bring more of a defensive spark 
than what Barrett currently provides, which is not much on the defensive side of the ball. If you're Brooklyn, you don't touch that deal within a 10-foot pole because we don't really know what Bridges is going to end up being in terms of his ball handling and creation. Now, like what I said, I think he's best served as a guy that doesn't have to create a whole hell of a lot. I'd rather see him with a traditional point guard, which you might get to see if Dinwiddie becomes more of a facilitator than a pure scorer as this season progresses. But with where the team is right now, he has to be a scorer along with Bridges for them to keep afloat offensively. So I like where you're thinking, Chris. I think if you're the Knicks, you do it in a heartbeat. But if you're Brooklyn, I can't see that being the enticing deal that, that's going to put them back into good terms with Dolan and company. Especially in the midst of what a lot of people are looking at as like kind of a rebuild right now. I know it's I know it's cliche wording for it, but that's that's essentially what it is. I mean, you don't have a defined star. You have a bunch of very, very talented players in their own right. But like I I agree with you, Colin. I think for the Knicks, that would be a phenomenal deal to uh, just for team chemistry in general. Imagine getting all those Nova guys together along with the arsenal that they already have. Um, but most of the Nets dealings lately have been in draft picks anyway. I, I don't, especially just from evaluating their moves currently. I, I don't, I don't see that as something that would benefit the Nets in any way. I don't, I think that's a one-sided deal. I think Brooklyn's going to end up being one of those teams as time goes on now, that's going to try and clean up their financial situation and win again through free agency and through re-signing guys. I think Bridges is going to be a part of that equation for them. I think they want Cam Johnson to figure into that as time goes on. I think Joe Sy right now is going to be very hesitant to do any more trades with other teams. Uh, the guy, too, that I, I want to just point out because we didn't talk about him much is Dorian Finney-Smith. Very good defender. He gives them another wing defender along with Bridges that they didn't have before, but he's really just not a guy that has an itchy trigger finger, and that's been hurting them in the couple games that he's been there. I could see them potentially moving off of him. There were rumors that they were offered picks for DFS, and they didn't take it, which... I understand for the sake of having a defensive-oriented team, but as time goes on, you might want to replace him for another elite scorer or another elite player if you can swing it. In that case, he might be someone that I would toss back New York's way if they were interested in a Dorian Finney-Smith type because he brings kind of what Bridges does defensively without the offensive pop. I don't know if New York would bite on that. I wouldn't blame them for not biting on that, but that's just where my head would be if... if I was the Brooklyn Nets general manager, which, let's be honest, could become more likely as the day goes on based on what Sean Marks has done this year. So <laughs> if I'm Brooklyn right now. I'm just trying to work with what I have and then make small changes as they come. If a major star wants out, that's where you point to. But given their track record, I could see them being sheepish. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all ages. I think both New York teams have a lot of room to grow. Um, I think the Knicks are the better team today and are oh, better set up for the future. So it's going to be really interesting. I, I don't think people would have ever have thought they'd be saying that. I think a lot of the national media is still saying that the Nets are better set up now that they got all these draft picks. I think, I'm not sure if they remember that now they're just back to the normal amount of draft picks as opposed to not having like five. <laughs> Whatever. Danny Green to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Reggie Jackson to the Denver Nuggets. Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook destination lists thus far. However, we got a hint. Miami Heat probably not interested in a guard. So Westbrook probably a no-go for them. Is there a signing out of Green to the Cavs, Jackson to the Nuggets, 
love anywhere, Westbrook anywhere, that really stands out to you guys? Do you guys have any real landing spot you love for Love or Westbrook? Or do you really like one of these moves that's already happened? Terrence Ross to the Suns, Danny Green to the Cavs, Reggie Jackson to the Nuggets. I'm going to throw one out for Kevin Love. I'm going to look at Jack when I say this one because I know he'll have an opinion on it. This should be this should be stunning. Would, would Kevin Love kind of fit some gaps for Boston because he's a little bit like Blake Griffin well, in terms of what he does now. They went for Gallinari right. and he got hurt over the summer. I think it would be a decent fill-in just to get them some more depth come playoff time because when you go up against teams like Milwaukee that are going to have Giannis, you're going to have to build a wall. Well, Same no, 100%. Play Philly. And also, I think their depth has been one of their toughest struggles this year. And I, I, still, with the, even with that occurring, they're still the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. But, no, I think for depth purposes, I can't really see it for too much other than that. But just for general depth, to have a, a veteran who, who knows what he's doing, who's liked in a locker room, who, who has contributed to playoff teams. That's the other thing, an experienced playoff player, which I think is really important. Yeah, I could I could see it, but again, I don't think it would be for much more than depth because, you know, whether it's long term or short term, Boston players are getting hurt left and right. Like for some reason, it just they they're always they're, they got chandeliers for bodies. It's hilarious. So um, no, I I could I could see him adding an extra layer of padding at, at at the big man position for sure. I mean, especially since I'm not entirely sold on Muscala. I think he's been good so far. Oh, no, me neither. But I, I don't think that that's necessarily sustainable. So if Kevin Love can have a couple of games here and there, kind of like what Blake Griffin did a couple of years ago in Brooklyn, he had one really good playoff game. If I can get that out of Kevin Love, I'm satisfied if I'm the Celtics. No, I, I agree. I agree with you. I don't, I, don't see a, I don't see anything too outlandish about that. I, I just think you have to roll the dice the way that things are going with injuries, mm. especially considering Milwaukee's knocking on the door. Milwaukee was my pick at the start of the season to win the East. I'm still standing by that just because I don't think Boston will get by them two years in a row. It just doesn't happen like that, especially when you have a talent like Giannis. Not saying Tatum hasn't been great this year. He's been phenomenal. But Giannis is a different type of player. He will have learned from the mistakes of last year by the time that playoff series happens, if it does indeed happen. No, I agree. And and. The other thing is I don't think – I think just for the sake of their pride, like even though it was a, a series that went to multiple games, like it wasn't a, a sweep or anything easy for Boston, it still felt as though Boston kind of manhandled them in that series. I, I'd never seen – and I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan. I did not think we were going to win that series. And I, that was – it was a chippy one. So I, I, could, I, I completely agree with you. Not to mention you assume Chris Middleton will be ready. Oh, 100%. By then. Yeah. So I, that was a major uh, a missing piece for them last season. That number two scoring option who could be a Batman at his best. Yeah, and Drew Holiday has been really good this year, especially on the offensive end. But they just need that extra stability back on that end of the court. They're not good enough right now. Giannis is, and so he's gotten them through the regular season with ease because that's who he is. But as a team... I think we're all kind of assuming they're going to be a heavyweight contender once they get Middleton back. I really would like to see it, but I've, I've been saying it too. I mean, preseason, I had a Bucks clippers finals, and uh, I think the trade deadline did a good job of reaffirming that for me. I like the Crowder acquisition for Milwaukee. I just really need for them for that Middleton acquisition to work out. I wouldn't be interested in Westbrook if I were them. or you know, I think he can go have fun in Chicago or something like that where – 
they just need someone to dribble the basketball off the bench. Like Kobe White apparently not living up to their internal expectations. So for, for what it's worth, on Middleton, February fourteenth against Boston, twenty five minutes, not his typical workload. One of four from behind the arc, sixteen points. This is the one that sticks out for me though. Eleven boards. Yeah, that that's someone who's working Act, his way back in. That's that's the impressive part for me, just in terms of of what he can do. Yeah, that I, was. Uh, I'd want to watch the game, yeah. but I agree that's like a great stat to point out, just for motor and effort like that. You know, that's encouraging. Um, I'm not sure that any of these buyouts are moving the needle for any of these teams, though. I know Danny Green, the Cleveland, they needed a wing that they can trust in playoff minutes and a crunch or whatever. Uh, okay. Um, I thought the Kevin Love buyout was weird. You know, like, they kind of had to pick between Osmond, Rubio, Love, and Lamar Stevens, and they could only play two of them. Um, so it's kind of clear who they chose, obviously, with Love getting bought out. But I just would have picked Love as one of the guys to, to, to play in the rotation. So to lose him for nothing, for his time in Cleveland to come to an end like that is definitely weird. Um, I do really like Boston as a spot for him. I just think that's a talent acquisition that they just make and then make the fit work later because Love has done that before. He's changed his game several times to help put the best product out there. Love that move for Boston. I also think, geez, if Miami got their hands on him and, and maybe that heat culture rejuvenated him athletically a little, you know, whatever it is um, that they do down there, whatever Michael's <laughs> secret stuff they give their guys – uh, yeah, I like that for him too. So some Eastern Conference teams I like for love, but UCLA guy, Minnesota Timberwolves to start his career. He might just go out west. So we'll see what he does. The Clippers would be like terrifying. The Kings would be really fun if they don't trust Trey Lyles. I would though, so I wouldn't do that if I were them. Uh, but it would still be fun. So yeah, other than that, that's about it for me on this I think that this is going to be a very fun all-star weekend and that we are going to have a good time enjoying these events I also hope that we're able to learn from these events and and you know make them better for next year and, and get a little more hype around them I think the league can learn from what they're doing my final note is that the NBA gets an A plus for their halftime show selection for the all-star game they're going with an afro beats theme Thames burn a boy it, it Oh, that's going to be awesome. I love the concept that they're going with. I know it's in yeah. Utah, but bring on the Afro Beats. Bring on Burna Boy and Thames. I think that's going to be a great show. So I love the J. Cole one. That one still sticks out from a couple years back in Charlotte. I think this was a great choice for Utah. Not many notable Utah artists in pop culture, but they kind of found a good way of going about it. So that's it from us on this episode of pick and pod thanks for joining us virtually for tuning into the show supporting what we do here at wfuv sports if you want to stay connected and tuned in to the new york knicks the brooklyn nets and all of the teams around the national basketball association you should continue to listen to pick and pod where hosts like jack warner colin lochran and myself will have you covered all season long thanks for listening to pick and pod a production of wfuv sports